Um, I am about what God's doing with us as a church, and specifically in this time, uh, God's given us like a whole, I would say the last two months, we've been working systematically through this. So of God calling us as a people together to have the work of the Holy Spirit working in each one, but in us collectively. And we, we wanted to take some time as, as an eldership. We, we've been praying about this, but also saying, Lord, how do we do this effectively without casting by the wayside people's previous learning, previous understanding, being cautious and being sensitive to where each of you are at. Many of us are at different places in our walk with the Lord. Many of us have different backgrounds. And one of the things that we wanted to do through this summer was, first of all, remove some of the hindrances, uh, just mentally or just understanding-wise about where the work of the Holy Spirit is in the church and what that looks like. And since we studied the book of Acts last week, uh, last year, since we studied the book of Acts last year, we, we started to see the work of the Holy Spirit has to be far more tangible, far more real to the, each one where you're at than something that we can all, with one blanket brush, say, we all do this, or this is how God operates for everybody. Right? So those are some of the things that we wanted to get into. With that, Bob took us through a series called Vertical and Horizontal Relationships, which uh, emphasized the need for your personal relationship with the Lord, because that's where everything flows from, and then how that operates in local church relationships, and how we navigate our family relationships, how we navigate our relationships at work and with the world, right? There's an important thing that we need to get in this relationship before we can get anything right in these relationships. And Alan then took on the task of demystifying a lot of the things that surround the person of the Holy Spirit and who he is and why God decided that in this age, in this time period, it wouldn't be Jesus who was left here. So that's kind of where I stopped last week. Jesus is not the one walking the earth today. It was necessary, and I will go into it from Scripture so you know I'm not making this up. Okay? Jesus is not walking around the earth. There was a reason why Jesus, after he resurrected, he ascended into... So where is Jesus right now? I did this. This is, this is my... This is Jesus' spot, okay? Just in case anyone's wondering on the video. This is... He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for the culmination of this age where all things that have exalted itself up against God, everything that has said, I will take on God and I will win, I will exalt myself above God. God says, until everything has been brought low and made his footstool, until such time Jesus will remain seated. Who is on the earth today moving among us? representing, expressing the work of Jesus, expressing the work of God the Father, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's where we're at. And I want to show you that from Scripture. But I want to be clear that I'm not going to be talking 
heavily about relationships, neither am I going to be talking heavily on the person of the Holy Spirit, but how the rich grace of God operates in His church. Let's just pray. Father, we thank You for giving us the gift of Your Holy Spirit, that Jesus might be glorified in each one of us here. Lord, that the work that you began in us, you will complete. We thank you for that. For each one in this room, for each one listening online, that you are God and you are with us and you are in us, O oh Lord, to transform us to look more and more like Jesus. We can't wait, Lord God, for the day that we will see you face to face. Lord, in this time, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see things clearly, that we would walk with you more closely that all our religious ideas will drop to a place where we authentically know you. Help us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start today's message with a portion of scripture that comes from Ephesians chapter 1. And this is critical because this is the, book, the whole book of Ephesians, if you have an opportunity to just a side reading, if that's something that you can do, I would really appreciate it if you go through the whole book of Ephesians so you have the context for some of the things that we're going to be sharing over the next few weeks. I talked about grace last week being more than just something that saves you. It's not a thing. Grace is a person. Grace is the person of the Holy Spirit that manifests, that expresses the power, the goodness, the favor of God towards you and me. So if you were to understand grace, you have to understand it is coming with God's backing. Him saying, I will express myself to you and my goodness to you in this way. So when you see the manifestation of grace in each one, as we will talk about has, how many of you have heard about spiritual gifts? Okay, guess what? It's a work of grace. So the Bible uses the word charis, okay, which is where you get the word charisma, which is also the working of God's Spirit, which is why it's often seen together. So without the work of the Holy Spirit, you cannot have spiritual gifts. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you cannot receive grace because it's a work of God towards you can you say that I did not earn this it's a gift to me okay now Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says for it is or verse 6 7 8 for it is by grace for it is by grace that you have been saved does it stop there what does it say through faith the problem in a lot of our church circles, the word grace has been trivialized to something just because what we just said together, it's a gift. We're like, well, it's a gift. But guess what happens with gifts? You got to say thank you. You got to receive a gift. Otherwise, it remains a gift on Walmart shelf. <laughs> or wherever it is, if you buy in fancier places than that. If you're inviting me, you're getting something from Walmart. But um, gifts without being received does not constitute a gift. It is just a thing. 
Does that make sense? So unless I am appropriating, so what is the appropriating tool God uses for grace to be received? Faith. So you have been saved by grace through the agency of faith. And we have gone through this before that faith is not you snapping your fingers and doing make-believe stuff or trying to make something happen. Now, I want to go back to, because I want to set this context and also give you a a short teaching on this, because it's important, because it will affect how you worship. When we sing songs like Champion, okay, there's a part of me that winces inside, because there is a possibility that you might have a notion of something that isn't how the work of God operates. So it says, when I open up my mouth, or when I, when I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. Is that true in your life? Do walls come crashing down the moment you shout? No? Okay. Okay, we're getting somewhere. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. Does that happen in your life? Okay, we're getting somewhere. I have the authority Jesus has given me. Do you? No one seems convinced. And this is the problem with church worship in general. Doesn't change the truth of scripture. However, the application of it can go to a very dangerous place where you simply blabbing constitutes a work of God. No, it does not. This is all a work of, what's the title? It's a work of grace. So if grace has to work, there is an engagement with what God has said about himself, who he is to me that I need to know personally it is not good enough that Judah or the word of grace as a church in their statement of belief says that God is the provider so Lord I thank you for for provision in my family when a bill needs to be paid now saying that does that make the bill paid okay Now, do you see what I'm trying to get at? But me personally meeting with the God who is my provider, that is what faith is. I get to trust this covenant. So when you say the word faith, I want you to think of the word, a ring of covenant. So there is something that I have where he says, you will be faithful to me. That's what faith is. Faith has always been truncated in our English Bibles to this short word called faith as an action word. But it is, if you read the Greek, it is the full word, faithfulness. So every time you use the word faith, it is connected to an exercise or a banking on the faithfulness of someone. So when I talk about God, I'm saying, when I say I'm approaching God with faith, what I am actually saying is, I believe you will do what you said you will do. Honey, when are you coming home? I've got a ring on my finger, right? You're banking on the fact that when I say something, I am faithful to execute it. 
So there is a faithfulness in our relationship. There is a faithfulness in when I will show up that you have grown to trust. It's a personal thing. But guess what happens when you don't show up, as my wife sometimes tells me. When you say you will be here and you're not, you cannot give me the excuse that you forgot to text. You told me something. I was expressing my faith in you to be home. Now do you understand the word faith? A little bit easier, so, it's, so you're not, it's not clouded with other jargon. So whenever you exercise faith, faith is always an expression of counting on faithfulness. That's bankable. So if the work of grace is to be received as a gift, guess what faith does? I totally know I cannot do this. This is something only you do. I receive it. I receive it gladly. I don't try to add to it. I don't try and manufacture it. I know that you will be here to do what only you can do. That's how faith operates. So faith operates by engaging with God on whatever that situation is. So guess what? So come back to that kind of a song where when I open up my mouth, did God ask me to open my mouth? Did he ask me to speak? Did he ask me to shout? Did he ask me to just be quiet and sit? Or do I not know the difference because I never asked? So then what ends up happening? I listen to songs like this and I start yelling. Will that change anything in your life? Nope. You can sing champion till you're blue in the face. It won't help you. But when you meet with the God who is the champion, who is seated in heavenly places, and then you say, I am seated with you because of what you have done. And I acknowledge that and I apply simple faith, not complicated faith, simple faith. You are the one who did this. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of his father, having accomplished, having destroyed and disarmed every enemy that we will ever face. That's the truth. So say, Lord, I want to see that. I want to see that in my personal life. So Lord, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to make big grand statements that sound cool. If you are seated in heavenly places and you have said, you have seated me with you. Right? We read that last week. Ephesians chapter 1. The first few verses talk about that, right? So we have been seated with him in heavenly places. So guess where my position is? Together with Jesus. Now, is that a slam dunk? Now, because my position's over everything, look at me go. You know, I'm, I'm going to like totally get through everything that life throws at me. No, there are days I forget and I get off of there and I'm underneath my situation. Is that a problem? Yes, if it stays like that for too long. Because I have been seated together with, with him in heavenly places. That's where songs like this make sense. It reminds us of a truth that we can often forget. So is it something that I would just sing for singing's sake? No. We need to move past all these churchy things to get to the heart of where God is and say, Lord, I want to know you more. Is there something that's exercising a practical faith or is this, is this just stuff we talk? 
Okay, that was a long, long sidebar. But I think it's important because otherwise what happens is we as a church will end up worshiping with false ideas. You will end up moving into things that emotionally gets you there. But in your heart, you know you have not connected with that truth. And you will just say, the Bible says it's true. Guess what? The Bible says it's true. Doesn't change that the Bible is true. But for you, it's completely false. And this is the disconnect we see in the church today. We have people saying the Bible says it's true. If God has not spoken it to you, guess what? It might as well read the Bible does not say it's true. Because you have not received the word as truth. It is one of those things, it's still a toss ball. It's still, you know, in basketball you call it a jump ball, right? It could go either way. If I come down with it, great. And that's how we get to places where God kind of is okay into healing. But when you meet God as healer, that's a it's no longer a jump ball. It's not a, does God heal today? Well, maybe. No, it didn't land, so I guess he doesn't. No, 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 no. His word says that he is the healer. His word has said that his blood has purchased these things for us. But I must receive these things with him. So when I walk through a difficult situation where I don't see something happen, where someone I love goes a different way, when something in my job happens, or something in family, and it goes sideways, do I then say, I blame God for it? No, I was like, Lord, what are you calling me to know you more? In this season of my life, in this place, I want to know you more. That I can operate in clear faith. Not in blind faith. There is no such thing called blind faith. If you're writing things down, write this down. There is no such thing as blind faith. Neither is there anything called a leap of faith. These are two very drastically hurtful things that have been taught in the church. God asks you to look at him straight in the eye. And he puts out his hand, which is a faithfulness act. An act of faithfulness. If you, if you notice a bride and a groom. Hold my hand. There is a passing of hands. And you say, now we're going to do this together. Whatever comes our way for the rest of our lives, we're doing it together. Hold my hand. It's clear-eyed. You're not blind. Hold my hand. And he doesn't say jump. He says, now walk. Walk. Today, today we'll get two steps down the road. Tomorrow, we might run. When I met this girl, I, I don't do running, just in case anyone knows. But before my wedding, I was clocking nine miles almost every other day. Well, I did, I did want to make sure I wasn't out of shape, but it was totally my wife kind of a thing. I don't do that stuff. But there is an affinity that grows for the things that matter to them. So guess what happens when you stick close to God? And that's what my message is today. Today I want to talk about a kingdom mindset. Because what comes from God 
is a work of grace from a king. So if I'm receiving something from a king, guess what I need to do? Take on what that king, how that king thinks, how he operates. If I'm busy trying to say I belong to this kingdom, but still trying to operate on my own fleshly ways, guess what happens? I don't appropriate the, the work of grace. There is no faith acting. I have decided to be unfaithful. Put that there. I don't need it. I got, I got this. You're my God. You don't need this. But when I say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm joined to somebody here. There's something in my life that's throwing me off that makes me want to say, I really don't need this. I think I'm good by myself. And then I will use faith language because I'm from a church. But he, he will, he'll look at you in the, in the eye and say, what happened to the covenant we made? What happened to that? So there is a mind that is set on something that needs to be shifted. And that's the work of grace. And God comes to us by the work of His Holy Spirit when He first saved us. He gave us a revelation of who Jesus was. And He says, don't stop there. And this is the problem we often face. Once we have received that initial faith of saying, yeah, I'm willing to make a commitment, we stop there and we think, now the rest of my life, I just need to read my Bible and I should be good. He says, there's work to be done. I mean, I've got a family business to run. When I joined you to myself, I thought we were going into this work together. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. And this is Paul's opening prayer as he's praying for the Ephesians. And he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in a knowing of Him. Whenever I see the word knowledge, the problem is we think it's just merely intellectual understanding. But he's talking about, come spend time with me so you know who I am. That he may give you a spirit of wisdom and, and of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart, what? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So this goes beyond just intellectual understanding to the place where you receive in your spirit what God has done. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And here's that word again. What are the riches? So what are the other places of his riches? We said this is the riches of God's grace, right? The riches of his glorious inheritance in who? Do you know that you sitting here, you listening online, are part of the riches of God given to his people? There's an inheritance that he has, and he's divvied it up into this multifaceted group called his people. And he says, that's a rich inheritance. And what, following that, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? And this is a part that we don't often see picked up. 
the riches of his immeasurable grace has been worked out in his church and in his people and the working of his power towards us who do what? I will put my hand in your hand and we will walk. That's what the word believe. Believing with faith is saying, I do. You hear this at weddings, do you? I do. It's a declaration of implicit trust. By, de by declaring that, I'm being saying, I'm just saying, for everything that life involves, I do. Whatever life holds, I do. So whatever we face in this life, he's saying he wants to show his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. There it is again. Where is Jesus? At the right hand of God in heavenly places. Now Jesus, the next verse says, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but even in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. To whom did he give him? To the church. Which is his body, the fullness of who? Of God himself, who goes through all and all. He fills everything. Do you see what I talked about earlier? Is that passage of scripture right there. So what, when we look at the work of God in his church, we're talking about the one who is the name above every other name. The one who has been given all power and dominion over all things, he says, He's been given as the shepherd, as the one who leads, who is the head over this church. And every church that is named by the name of Jesus. So when it comes to people like myself, am I the leader of this church? Is one of the elders of this church, the leader of this church, the, the pastors of this church? We are merely under shepherds. We are merely the people who he puts on task. We, no one in this room gets to be the boss. Who is the head of the church? We just read it. If we even for a second forget that, guess what happens? We become a place that glorifies the work of the flesh. And we stop operating in the work of the spirit. This is why it is so essential that we understand these things right out of the gate. Ephesians chapter 2, moving over to the next chapter. Verse 18, for through him, now this is how he operates in his church. Through Jesus Christ, through the work that Jesus did, we have access in one spirit to the Father. God is reconciling all things to himself. So everything that's gone out of whack, he's bringing back into order. And guess who his agency is? The work of his spirit operating in the church. So Jesus deliberately left. Not because he wanted to leave you. He will explain this in John chapter 16. I will go into, the, go into that. 
But when he left, he says, I want to go so that I can give to you my Holy Spirit so that I can raise up among you a mature son and daughter of Christ that can inherit all the things that I have prepared for you beforehand. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived or even thought of the things that he has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not a single one of you can even consider it. And he says, I need to get you ready for that. So guess what? We're not going to be playing diaper games for the rest of your life. At some point, I'm going to have to teach you to poop on the toilet. Is it sad when you mess up? Is it possible that you could have a really bad day? Absolutely. That's why I'm a parent. That, this is God speaking. So he's not surprised by your poopy diaper. But when he comes and cleans you up, his goal is to mature you in him. And this is where Paul constantly is. He says, I take great labor and I'm in constant places of laying myself down to see Christ formed inside of you. I want Christ to be the one that is established firmly in who you are. So if I were to say, define for me who Judah is, we would define the work of the work of Jesus. Not the work of anyone else. Right? And we need to be completely at home with that idea. That it's not about us. It's not about us. Don't worry about him. You guys just, you can all pay attention. Right? This is why God made adults. So this is part of us learning as a family. Right? Where we let children be children. Okay, so if any parent, don't be totally at rest. If we need to minister to our children, that matters. Take time to do that. Don't shush your kid up. Okay, and for those of you who are adults in the room, God's given you an attention span of more than 10 seconds. <laughs> Pay attention. Okay, so now that he has given to us, his one spirit. So then, this is verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So we are all members of God's household. This is in our house. We don't get to have, this is word of grace branding. This is who we are. Far be it from us. If we cannot stand alongside our brothers and sisters from Grace United Methodist Church, from Saving Grace Church, from Grace Stone, or any, name any of these other ch churches that believe in the Bible and call Jesus Lord. If we for a second consider ourselves to be perfect apart from them, we have missed the boat. We are all part of his household. So we, if we stop behaving like siblings, you know, like for anyone who has two kids close in age, you know what that feels like at home, raising them. Like, yeah, your brother did that. Get over it. 
Okay, he was being a butt. You were too, yesterday. You know, and those are the kind of things where in churches, when we see other church family members do something, the point of offense isn't to us. It's the work of the household of God. I would love everything in the household of God to be set right today. I really would. But that would mean he would have a lot to deal with me. And I'm not there yet. So the same measure of grace that you have received, operate in that. Okay? So now that you are house, members of his household, he built this on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Surprisingly enough, it did not come from a Hillsong worship song. It's in here. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the temple of the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place of God by his spirit. Together. So it should matter to us how we treat one another. Okay, think about the series of, on vertical and horizontal relationships. It matters to God how we treat each other. It matters to God how we love one another because we are a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Particularly when they have a different political belief. Particularly when they don't see a certain scripture passage the same way you do. Because I would much rather be able to set them right then and there. And he says, get your hands off my kid. I'm the dad here, not you. Have you ever had your parents speak to you that way? I'm just saying, there might be a day God might do that to you. So the heart with which we carry one another needs to be one of, this isn't my house. This isn't my show. This is his. So when I see the work of God in somebody, and I'm like, oh, man, he's just not getting it. Or oh, she's, guess what? I was there. And if I'm not there, I'm somewhere else in, in the same diaper phase in another aspect of my life. So to remember the grace of God works in each one in a very unique way. But everything that he has done, he's given it freely. He has never charged you for anything you got. He's never required of you some payment. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we talked about this word. He prepared things beforehand for you. That's that word grace. It's a provision before the event so that you can just step into it. You're not trying something to be perfect. You're just operating in simple devotion. Simple place of saying, I do. I do. I do. I'm not going to try and make it up. Something's happening with my little kid. I don't. I do. So what did you say? You will take care of my needs. You will take care of my children. 
50 years later, I'm about to retire, my 401k has crashed, the market, the inflation's high, I do. You will provide for my every need. So regardless of which stage of life you're in, the turmoil of life doesn't remove you from I do. All he's asking you is to stay close to him so he can be the champion. You don't try and be that. Don't try and say, well, he's prepared me for this and I got this. That's the problem when we get this kind of skewed Christian belief system where somehow I am empowered to do something and he's expecting that of me. He doesn't expect anything off of you without his Holy Spirit. But because of the work of his Holy Spirit, he expects all riches and immeasurable greatness, the working of his power towards you. That's all him. What is he asking for you to do? I do. It's that simple. So let's not overcomplicate it to complicated theological discussions, but simple places of faith where he says, will you take my hand? Alan talked about this idea of the Holy Spirit not being a lone ranger. You will see this, this heart attitude, this kingdom mindset of not my will be done. Because that's the first place where we run into a roadblock. Because whenever we look at our life, we look at our investments, we look at our retirement, we look at our kids and our raising and job and all of that. Put it all in the mix. And if I said, you don't get to make a single decision regarding those things. That's what not my will means. Sorry to break it to you. So when you get to those places where important decisions need to be made, the question is, do we have an abiding relationship with God where this is not like some unique ask? Where I'm suddenly praying about marriage. I need to pray about my job. I need to pray about which direct... Guess what? Now it's too late to start. Do you understand? Like if I'm in the midst of the process, now if I start to say, I want God to show me how many investments to make or when to pull out my money or when to... You're starting cold. I would, to anyone who asks me questions about marriage or job, and I start to hear them talk about something and they have not developed a relationship with the Lord first, I dial it back to the place of saying, I know it seems harsh because you need to make a decision now. I need to make a decision now. No, no, don't make that decision now because you're going to blow it. Go back to the place where you just learned. And I'm not trying to say you need to now become some, I'm going to grade you of where you walk with God. That's not the thing. Have you got a personal witness of who Jesus is to you? That's the simple question I will ask. And when that grows, you ask a question to this person you know. It's not some God being somewhere. I'm like, I hope you do something. No, I know you. I know you to be, at least be the one who provides for me. God has convinced me of that. So I do. On that issue, I, I will hold his hand and I will say, Lord, show me now. I need a job. I don't know how this works. I will come alongside you and I will pray with you. I will be there. And that's why God has given us a body of believers who can stand for us, with us. 
but do not presume to walk in something that you don't have for yourself personally. That's where we get severe crashes in faith. People have made shipwreck of their faith simply because they believed that something should work and God did this for someone else, so he should just do it for me. Not if you don't know him. Because some of the things that we would just simply say, tight, oh, well, if you give this, then this will happen. See, this is what makes me mad about a lot of our Christian television. There is no amount of seed money that will get you the provision you need. It doesn't work that way. God is looking for faith in Him, not in an outcome. So when you say, I do to Him, then everything else starts to operate. So as we start to unpack the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we start to see the things that God does in His church, again, it's not something that we can say, I did it. I'm just stepping out in it. I'm getting better at this. No, no, no. If you leave the side of the master, you've already gone off course. If you do not have the attitude that was in Jesus and now is in the work of the Holy Spirit, they're not lone rangers. They don't just go off and do their thing. Oh, God called me for this moment. God did not call you for this moment. God did not call you a world changer. I'm here to tell you that. I know it seems very antithetical to what is preached in churches nowadays. You are nothing without the work of the Holy Spirit. So guess who's the world changer? Who's the history maker? Okay. So I never get to get off a stage. Be like, yeah, that was, that was odd. That was good. That was good. I feel good. No, no, no. You don't get to do that. It was all a gift. It was all a gift. You never get to get off a platform, which is why I hate the platform. We have this glorified idea in our churches that something from here is more special than here. For some reason, where you sit is the peanut gallery. But this is where the work of grace is. And I'm a mere participant of that. Has he given a specific call for me to teach? Sure, I will accept that. And it's not one I take lightly. However, for me to sit down, when I go back and sit in my seat, wherever I don't know where my seat is there, but whenever I go and sit down, it is not any more or any less a special place because the work of grace is operating through each one and we need to get used to that so we stop trying to hog oh I, I got this this is mine so everything you receive hold your hands out and say Lord I, I refuse to hold on to anything anything that you give to me whether it is my job, my family. It's a hard thing. It was one of the hardest things I had to wrestle with when I first started building my own family. And I was like, I saw my first child born. I saw, so my, first I got my, my wife and I'm like, man, I'm like the crazy blessed. And this is, now this is my home. You know, she's got 
This is the Thomas family. And she's like, sounds awesome. And then you start to have kids and then you're like, oh crap, I gotta raise kids now. And then you're like, you, you, and then the, and it just starts to get bigger, and then you're like, and I now I gotta need, need to think about college, and you make sure that we have a job, and I mean, make sure that we have diapers, and you, you, your 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 life speeds up before you know it, and and you're popped out on the other end, and you're like, they're gone, they're college, now we need to retire. And somewhere along the way, we get so busy being the one who has to do the stuff. And this is with me saying, Lord, you have my heart. Lord, you, you have my everything that I have. And then before I knew it, I was already king. I was building my kingdom. If you, put, if you challenged me in a corner and said, Judah, are you building your kingdom? I'm like, no, I'm not. But the way I would live would talk different. Because I was afraid to lose it. And this is something Jesus challenged everyone who came after him. It's a scary challenge that he puts to everyone who seeks to follow after him. He says, if you are not willing to let go of your father, your mother, your family, and everything that you hold, you cannot come after me. Is he saying family does not matter? Is that what Jesus is saying? No. To the contrary, he's saying, do you know that I have your family? The problem is, I'm so convinced that it is my responsibility. If I did something or didn't do something, my kids wouldn't turn out right. Or if I did this more or did that less, then this would happen. Again, we have taken the work of parenting or the work of husbanding or wifing or, or whatever it is, and we've said, I need to be responsible for that. It's not a work of grace. It's, it's, this, is, this is on me. It's scary when you realize it. it we, it's so subtle. The draw is so subtle because you feel like you're doing your job. And he says, you cannot do anything apart from me. So when we come to the work of God in the church, we have to realize that submitting to the work of God and saying, Lord, I, I, I don't know how to do any of this. Show me how to love my wife. Show me how to raise my kids. And when my kid goes against me, how do I love them through that? How do I nurture them? Lord, you're the God who caused all things to grow. I merely was the one who planted or watered it, but you're the God who causes the growth, not me. So when I look from afar and my heart is broken and when I see the things that I need to be fixed today, Lord, I need your grace. Now do you see grace in a totally different context? Grace is no longer just a make it through the day thing. You start to see there is supply from the throne of God. This king has said, I have made provision for you beforehand. Not only for you, but for your children. I want to end with this verse. It's not in our notes. In Psalm 90, and this is something over this week, I've just been meeting with the Lord with some friends, and it's just been so useful to see this, this word. This is in verse 16.
May your deeds be shown to your servants. May your mighty works be shown to your servants. And your splendor to our children. If there is one thing that I have committed in my heart to pray for, for the generation that raised my generation, there are so many of us in my generation where we have seen people lost to unbelief and shipwreck. But I am not willing to just let it lie. I will contend for what that generation has poured in. To say, Lord, we want to see that. Restore the work that you did to us. The work of your power in our generation. And we want to see it in the, in the lives of our children. We don't even know how to navigate half the things the world is throwing at us. But guess what? You do. So I don't need to come up with a three-point bullet point plan for how to raise my kids in the 21st century. I need the Lord. So Lord, show your servants your great power. And we want to see your splendor shown to our children. Amen? Can we just commit ourselves to the Lord? Lord, we thank you that you will show your great power towards us who believe. We get off the pedestal that we've been, been on and we stand to the side and we say, Lord, we need your work of grace. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We thank you that you are here to move among us to disclose to us, to open for us the work of Jesus, that Jesus might be glorified in every single thing that we do. We want to see you lifted high over our individual lives, over our homes, in our workplaces, in the marketplace. But Lord, especially in this local church, Lord God, we want to see us collectively move and operate in your grace. That there would not be room for our egos, for our, our prickled self. Lord, but we would gladly say, I do. That the covenant we make with you matters more to us than our personal desires. Help us, Lord, as we go through these weeks, Lord, to increasingly meet with you. Lord, to know you better. Lord, that when you say something, we would hear your voice, not just scripture being read at us. Not just somebody's message, Lord, but we would hear you. Help us to know you more, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.